On this episode, I sit down with Grant Inaba, who is a realtor and the team lead of the Good Agent Real Estate team. With over 15 years in the industry, today he divulges how he leveraged his network to close a, ready for this, $12.5 million deal. Now, before we get started, go ahead and do yourself a favor and hit that subscribe button. And without further ado, I'm your host, Sean Kunkler. Grant, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me on, Sean. Let's dive into this just right away. Who are you and what do you do? My name is Grant Inaba, and I'm a realtor and a realtor in the Northern California Bay Area, uh, specifically East Bay. Um, but I've got a team of agents and we cover uh, as much of the Bay Area as we can, primarily Alameda County, Contra Costa County, Solano County. And I'm starting to partner more with agents in the peninsula as well as South Bay too. So kind of doing a little bit of expansion there too in the future. That's amazing for people listening who are, let's say in the Midwest and they don't have contacts. That's a very large, that's a large footprint. So you have a good sized team. It sounds like. Yeah. We've got a team of six agents and uh, always recruiting more all the time. Uh, I found actually six agents is uh, still not enough. You know, a lot of times uh, we need support behind support. And uh, one person's sick and we've got to go, you know, kind of three degrees down or to find uh, someone who can fill in. And, uh, you know, it's not always always available that they're um, free to, to help out. The whole point of having a team is to collaborate, to support each other, to be able to network information, share information. I like to have the largest team possible. And it helps us also cover a larger geography as well, of course. Absolutely. And to your point, you get really healthy overlap yeah. as people get pulled away yeah. and things like I have a team member who's, she's traveling right now and paperwork needed to be done. We just jumped in and took care of it for, her, um, which sounds like you do similar. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually got an agent that's out right now. He's uh, on vacation in Mexico and I've got another agent that's um, out sick. She's actually got influenza. Shaha, I hope you're feeling better very, very soon, you know, but that's already one third of the team. So <laughs> it's, it's always, uh, yeah, I mean, a great idea to have support and obviously different agents that are focused on different things. They have different interests. Um, so it's nice to be able to, when a client comes in, they say, Hey, I want to do something specific, like say investments, rental investments or flip investments. We've got an agent that has a specific interest and knowledge base on that. And we can send them directly over to them. That's smart. Having specialists within your team, that's, I always find that's a very smart strategy. So in having six agents and then you're obviously the team lead, how many support people do you have on the back end? One admin assist and they're also one, he's our photographer, but he does a whole lot more. He does our social media. Um, he does our website design, website support. Uh, he's kind of a jack of all trades on the technology side. Um, and that includes graphic design as well. Um, so I would almost call him like a, um, another admin assist, but really much more on the technical side. It sounds like they're obviously doing social media, but are they doing other avenues of marketing for you as well? It's mostly just social media support and it's usually just graphic design. Um, we're still kind of manually doing our own social media ourselves. So they don't actually do it for us uh, or say they, they don't post for us. Um, but uh, I would love to get him in a position where, you know, if he had the bandwidth and he would be able to be able to do that, then he would actually take on that task. Um, he actually met me on Instagram. And uh, it's funny, I actually, I do a lot of 
great networking on Instagram. He approached me originally in order to photograph our listings. You know, we just kind of started talking more and more about that and, uh, you know, talked more about goals. And he wanted to kind of build an all-encompassing uh, media support uh, company for real estate agents. And I said to him, I said, hey, well, why don't we actually do that with this team? You know, keep you busy and then, you know, try and network with you in order to introduce you to more real estate agents that might be interested in the same thing. You know, photography is there. It's a pretty, uh, in my opinion, it's a pretty crowded space. There's a lot of real estate photographers out there. Um, you know, they all, for the most part, are all kind of catering towards the same style and look that everybody wants. Um, so in that way, they're kind of a little bit, you know, the same. The only thing that might separate them is the rate. But, you know, if they offer a whole lot more uh, package or uh, uh, features, you know, within, uh, you know, their repertoire services, then I think it's um, becoming much more beneficial for that, that, that outfit, that production. And so he started to kind of think about that. And we started to talk about how we could do that. And uh, so now he's kind of becoming a legit company and, um, you know, doing all the support for us. And we're kind of helping him build his business as well. That's cool. I love those symbiotic relationships. And it's interesting that you're leveraging Instagram of the different agents I've talked to on this platform. Instagram is the one everybody keeps going to and just saying it's the best place to actually connect with people versus TikTok. Sure, you get a million views, but you don't actually make the connection per se. It's beaten out LinkedIn, Facebook, Though Instagram is a hub of Facebook, it's Instagram is like the winner thus far. It's so weird to me too. It's basically just scrolling images, you know. It's basically just kind of like a big giant pictogram. You know, you would think that Facebook has a lot more, you know, kind of text-based and also link-based features that it would be uh, a lot more robust. Uh, LinkedIn also as well. It's very business-based. So we're doing business. Well, you're doing business. Hey, let's do business. <laughs> Whereas Instagram, you know, it's like all types of people doing all types of different things. You know, these. Instagram influencers and models and car people and house people. And it's, it's like a kind of a giant circus, which kind of makes it fun. Um, but uh, we're able to kind of collide and, you know, crash into to people and, you know, make introductions and say hello and, you know, start conversations. And I think that's where, where it all begins really. I completely agree. It's, that's our business. It's about having conversations and, you know, on a long enough timeline, Everybody, every property is going to sell and somebody's inevitably going to know somebody who wants to buy or sell. So being top of mind is just so incredibly important. There's so many good directions we can go with this conversation right now. I love this right out of the gate. We can, we can keep elaborating on teams. We can talk about social media. Let's go back to teams just because I'm so interested in, and most people listening to this, of course, want to build out a team. And so it sounds like you have six, you have six main agents looking for more, which we all are always We'll talk about recruiting in a second. And then you have your essentially two support staff people. Do you have anybody else on your team? That's pretty much it. No, um, you know, with compass, uh, a lot of our support, you know, comes from actually admins and staff. And, uh, you know, I find that to be, um, you know, I think a big component of, uh, you know, what makes us successful agents as well. So I would not discount those people either. Um, you know, it, we also pay for our commission too. So we might as well give them credit. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I, the, the transaction coordinator that we use is offered through compass that we pay for it. Um, she's amazing. Like she 
at the end of the day makes all the agents not only look good, but keeps us out of precarious liabilities just because she knows that side of the business so darn well. Yeah. Keeps us sane too. I, I, I actually, I can't, um, I can't put my mind around all those disclosures that uh, we have to keep track of and make sure they're signed and back and forth by both parties and everything. I just, uh, I, I'm so glad they're there because I don't think I would actually be able to be a successful real estate agent without them. I certainly wouldn't. No, I mean, it's, I think agents are really great at making messes and then you have to have the support people to clean it up behind you. And my support staff is like, they're, they're rock stars. Like they make me look amazing because I'm not that organized and they're just like, da, 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 and they get it all dialed in. And not only that, we're talking about, um, we work in different markets and different markets have different contracts. They have different, just, it's a whole slew of different things and different statutory disclosures and different layers to the business that you can know it, but remembering it all is exhausting. So it's, it's much easier just to have people on your team. be like, Hey, I'm going to be doing a transaction here. What are the, the my key documents do I need and get that support that way? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's where compass I think is, that's a tau compass again. I feel like every episode we're like, it's amazing. <laughs> but there's some really good things that makes it makes the process a lot easier in our market. We don't use attorneys, so we have to be a lot more resourceful in finding things and making sure we're doing stuff right. How are you recruiting? It used to be um, a little bit word of mouth. And then I started getting a lot more intentional about it. And I started actually using formal sites like ZipRecruiter, um, Indeed.com, LinkedIn, of course. Um, and, um, you know, mostly kind of doing it very slowly. Uh, I found that you can, you know, ramp it up real quick and get yourself, um, you know, a team of agents really fast. Uh, but, um, you know, I think scaling that support and uh, making sure that they're, working efficiently and all working together. You know, I think that uh, takes a little bit of massaging and a whole lot of time. So I don't like to recruit really, really fast, uh, but those are generally the the formats in which I'm looking for agents. Um, you know, and it's like always you're looking around and uh, talking to people and going out to coffee and, oh, you know, my cousin, uh, he's actually just got licensed. You know, do you want to talk with him? Well, yeah, sure, of course, I'd love to. Um, and you know, it's, it's kind of a, uh, it's a numbers game, you know, you're looking for as many agents as you can, but you're really kind of looking for the best ones possible. Of course, um, the, uh, ones that are maybe newer or, um, you know, not as motivated, you kind of find out along the way, you know, how competent, proficient they are, how hungry they are as well. And so you have to kind of, you know, s scale your own support accordingly also. All different agents, you got to make sure that they actually work with uh, your team and, you know, kind of hold the same philosophy and want to do the same type of business and, um, you know, fill those spaces where you actually need a lot of support. Uh, I think that um, recruiting is really one of the easier parts. It's keeping the whole thing together, which is really tough. I think it is easy, right, to find agents. It's hard to find the right fit yeah. for the team. Yeah. Because one bad hire, as we both know, can just <laughs> destroy everything that you've built. 
And that's like, uh, it's like introducing a cancer. Um, so I'm of the similar philosophy of hire slow, fire fast, of just really take your time of, of making sure you're really finding the pieces that are going to fit well, because nothing is more satisfying when you have, you have somebody who's really, really driven and motivated and then you hire somebody else who's really motivated and driven and the energy they feed off of each other, just it amplifies times 10 and the, their momentum, just virtue of that, it, it's so attractive and appealing. And if you, again, if you get another person who's like-minded, now you have this very healthy competition that, that automatically just starts creating within its team. And, you know, as a teammate, they can see that teammate. They can say, oh, my gosh, he's doing it. And, you know, that means I can do it, too. Or he's doing it. I want to learn how to, you know, to do it like he's doing it. Uh, I, I want to talk with him. I want to spend more time with him. I want to network with him more. It brings their level of competency, their level of expertise, their level of drive up as well. Obviously, I think when they look at me, like, I have to produce. I have to show them that this can be done. I have to, you know, set the example um, but it's not always uh, the best example for them to say, oh, I can do this too. You know, when they see someone at their own lateral position uh, actually doing really, really well, it, it, I think it's a huge, huge uh, motivating effect. Yeah, I would agree with that. I had a similar, I remember early on in my career, I had a, I, I went to lunch with a very, very high producing agent. And I think she, at the time she was in the business, I don't know, 15-ish years and like in the very high luxury category. And she had been there for quite a long period of time. And I asked like, what are you doing daily in your production? Like, what do you do? And she's like, you're asking me the wrong question. Ask me what I did when I was at year one going into year two. And I was like, oh, and that was like a, a big eye opener, similar to your teammates. If they're looking at you, you're 15 years in. About that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're looking at you and seeing what you're doing at 15 years, which is, that's very intimidating because you have 15 years of experience backed, backing into that. And if they only have one year, it's a very tough thing to measure against. But if they measure against your one year, then it's like, it's much more approachable of, oh, okay, I can take, I can go from one to two and then two to three, three to four. You can't go from one to 15. Like that's just, it's not going to be, it's sure it's possible, but you're a 0.0001% of the population who's going to actually figure out how to pull that off miraculously. There, there are people out there though. I think, um, oh man, uh, humanity is crazy. Uh, there's some people out there that I just, they, they do superhuman things that I can't even imagine. You know, doing my first year is like, how the heck did you do that? You know, I would never have thought I could have done that my first year and, and they pull it off. It's, it's very impressive. Um, yeah, a lot of that, I think, comes down to youth as well. You know, all these young kids, like, getting into real estate, they're 19 years old. You know, that was unheard of, I think, when we started. And uh, it's just really impressive how real estate has changed and how technology has changed, how technology has changed it and um, the possibilities we have now with real estate. When I started doing real estate, teams were just starting and it was just becoming a thing, you know, and I think the team format has really kind of revolutionized real estate in a big way as well. Um, 
yeah, so many different things in real estate that uh, that have enabled us to to do superhuman things. Yeah, I mean, in a very short period of time, you know, for being such an old industry, we're now to the the point where you can literally write a multi-million dollar offer from your phone inside of your car, sitting in front of the house <laughs> and hit send and then be ratified by the time you get back home. I mean, that's like mind boggling to think about prior to you'd have to go and get a book, literally a book and flip through it and see what properties are available and then highlight the ones for your clients and go drive over to their house. And yeah, it's a very different thing. Not only is the technology obviously completely shifting the way we do everything in our lives, but I also, you know, all of these TV shows that have been really popular from flipping houses to actual realtors selling and transacting and doing all of those activities, I think is really helping shed some light on, on the industry itself in a good way. I think some of it's definitely like, you know, made for TV. It's a little bit, there's some cheese factor, of course, but I think it's making it look, it's showing it in a way that's, that's appealing and attractive and, to your point, there's a younger demographic coming into it, which I think is great. Yeah, I, I wish there was more like home ownership formatted uh, TV shows instead of just flipping, uh, because we meet so many investors that have watched these shows and they say, "I can do this," and uh, you know they can they can kind of pull it off. They can half do it. Uh, they can you know do it, but maybe lose a little bit of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the other great illusion is people don't realize when you have to go to the Department of Building and actually get permits, how arduous and long that process actually is. It's not, you don't wave a magic wand after you've decided to blow out a wall and then you can do it. Like it, there's an entire series of events that have to happen that are going to cost you a ton of time. And then the other thing they don't, you don't, initially realizes is, is there's a carrying cost to all of that because you're still paying taxes. You're still paying rent. You still have to keep the lights on. It's there's a bit of um, smoke and mirrors to it. Like you really have to like dig in. There's great podcasts though. And in different channels where if investors, if somebody really wants to learn investing, there's a lot of great opportunities outside of just the HGTV, like, waving the magic wand and then they show you the finished products yeah exactly although it's funny i actually started watching those shows i never ever watched them ever i was i guess i was just too busy you know doing my own business and doing my own real estate that i never actually i never really made time for tv period you know there was a whole uh, i think generation of television that i didn't even watch i completely missed breaking bad i never watched it <laughs> yeah we're too busy doing real estate right um, I just recently started watching some of that, um, uh, those flipping shows, and I was really impressed at how much you can actually learn, you know, especially from a construction standpoint. You really have to kind of, I think, I think it's very um, advantageous that we know all this stuff already, right? Um, if you're trying to absorb it all as a beginner, then I think maybe you're, you're not really going to get as much out of it as we would, but. I find myself, you know, kind of picking out these little details or small things that they do that it's like, oh, that's really interesting. You know, actually, that's that's a really great time saver for renovations or that was a really great decision for that color choice or that tile choice. Um, and uh, 
I found them to be actually pretty educational for myself. Um, they're not going to teach you from nuts to bolts, you know, A to Z, how to flip a house. Uh, but um, I, I do find them enjoyable, enjoyable nonetheless. For sure. I mean, I definitely think there's they're entertainment. So that's that's why we watch them. Which I, I I agree that part is certainly there. I think the great thing that those types of shows have done is it gives people permission to imagine when they see these properties that are not in the best condition, it's they can look at it and say in the back of their mind, they have now examples that it can be changed and it can evolve into something else. That's actually when I talk to buyers, one of my questions is like, are you willing to buy a house that is a big project or are you just looking for little weekend stuff to do? And then based on what they say, I can guide them much better. But then I always have them after they find a house, I tell them to put things into one or two categories is this thing that you don't like about the house. Is it fixed or can we change it? And then once you decide if it's fixed or if you can change it, if you can change it, then it's just a matter of figuring out, do you want to do it and how much time and money is that going to cost? And if you can't change it, like the location, is it something you're just okay living with? But I think getting to that point, these shows have really, really helped buyers just view things in a much different light than they had previously. Like let's say 10 or 20 years ago before these shows were so, so profoundly popular. That's really, really cool. That's a great viewpoint. I like that a lot. Um, I, I actually, um, when I'm thinking about my clients, I kind of take an exact opposite 180. Um, I think that a lot of these flipping shows have kind of, um, I wouldn't say brainwashed uh, people, but they've kind of got people to think in the very same type of design format. You know, uh, the house exterior needs to be gray. Uh, the kitchen needs to have an island. It needs to have uh, a subway tile backsplash. Um, you know, all these things. It needs to have a rain uh, shower head. Uh, all these things that these people see. <laughs> and they say, I need this in my house. And it needs to look like this. And it needs to be completely flipped out. And I'm not going to buy anything else. You know, I need to have this house. It's totally done for me. And uh, I, I find that, you know, these, and I think you do too in your market, these are the houses that are ones that are selling for the most amount of money. And people are competing the most for these houses. It's the fixer uppers that nobody wants to touch because they all want the final product. That's a hundred percent true. There's a Barbara Corcoran quote. I tell all my clients this. At the end of the day, everybody wants what everybody wants and nobody wants what nobody wants. And so if you want the deal, go find the thing that nobody wants and make it the way everybody wants it. And then you'll have an amazing deal. But like even in a downturn market, a slow market that we're in right now, those properties that are dialed to the nines and they have all of those things you, you've mentioned and then some, they fly off the shelf still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And, and those people that have... God bless those people that have enough money to be able to buy those houses. But there's also, you know, kind of the lower tier people as well that still want those houses and won't make that compromise. And I feel really, um, I feel really bad for them sometimes because it does take a lot of creativity to get in this market. And uh, um, I, I, I need to meet a lot more of your clients, the ones that are, you know, willing to sit down with you and really make strategies and hard decisions about what's going to work for them, what's not going to work. Don't get me wrong, like not every client comes around quickly. Like some of them want to do it their own way for a long period of time. And 
and that's just the way it is. Like we've all had those challenges, but I, I tend to, I tell my clients right out of the gate, listen, I'm going to shoot it to you straight. And sometimes you're not going to like what I have to say, but I'm going to give you my advisements, like the best advisement I can with the information that's available at the time. And like, I'm going to say it in a nice way. It's not going to be stingy, but I want to get you up to speed quickly. So you're not spinning your wheels and just grinding around looking at these homes that are just egregiously underpriced that we know are going to go way, way outside of the budget. Like I will just tell them like, like this thing's going to land way outside of what you, you and I have discussed, like, sure, you can go look at it and sure we can write an offer, but this is where it's going to land. Um, but I mean, as, as we both have been around the block, it, it's, it takes a minute for some people to wrap their head around that one. Yeah, well, fortunately, we're in a different market now, and pricing is a little bit uh, more. Um, uh, I don't even know what the word is. Realistic, I guess. You know, um, you know, it, it used to be in our markets. I think maybe yours as well. We list everything twenty percent below market value. You know, once the uh, uh, buyer saw the property online, they'd say, "Oh, actually, I I can afford this. Let's go see it." And then they show up with a realtor, and the realtor breaks some bad news to him and says, uh, you know, actually, this property that's uh, listed for eight hundred thousand is going to sell for one point one. Uh, are you okay with that? And they say, "Well, we like the house so much. I think we can stretch it." You know, these days, I think there's a lot more transparent pricing. You know, this is what you get. This is what you're paying for. This is the amount of competition you're going to see. Make your offer accordingly. And um, I like that type of market, honestly. It's definitely much easier, and it's more for the buyer. It's it's just. I think for both the seller and buyer, it's there's a lot less liability because you don't have to waive all these contingencies. You can actually do your due diligence more thoroughly, which allows both sides to just be very clear. Um, whereas the prior market, the we'll call it the zero percent rate market, it was just frantic. Like people were frantically buying and just making very aggressive risky moves to purchase whereas now you can you can keep that inspection contingent you can actually have it and then you can really evaluate the property yeah you can negotiate too i mean yeah, before it was take it or leave it and when you take it you're, you have no outs whatsoever yeah it was a little little insane for a while i'm i actually much prefer this market yeah Though it's like a new set of challenges, but I think that also implies a new set of opportunities for us. I got to be honest with you, 2020 caused me a whole huge amount of anxiety. I was scared that whole time, you know, making offers for my buyers and and just uh, hoping that I got that pricing right. <laughs> you know, it, it was just such astronomical numbers and it, it kept on getting more and more expensive and you know, uh, the competition gets started getting higher and higher and higher and you, you had to run with it and you started to kind of question yourself whether or not this was actually uh, something that was in our best interest of a buyer. Obviously, they're the ones that make the decision at the end of the day, but man, it's a, it's a whole lot of responsibility for us realtors, honestly, to catch up with such a crazy market. When you look at the comps and the comps are already, already out of date and they're a week old because you know damn well it's going to go another 8% above that. It's especially a new brand new buyer coming into the market. That's a really hard conversation. And, and then they get blown up two or three times right out of the gate because they're offered, like they're making good offers. They're just, 
those, the other 25 offers that came in above them, they've been beat out much more times. And so they're just far more aggressive. I, you're right. Like I, I prefer in repping buyers right now, it's, it's much easier representing sellers. It's certainly, it's a different ball game. It's obviously the, our days on market are much more, our marketing costs are, are much more. There's, it's really hard from being a listing, being on the listing side to be, you have to be much more creative to get other agents to actually look at your emails or to get them to look at your videos. And you can't be lazy. You can't just put it on the MLS and then expect, oh, I'm going to get 25 people to come through tomorrow to come see it. And then we'll get an offer by end of day. It's just not that speed anymore. So I've, I've been finding I, I front load my sellers more with here's the marketing strategy at this, at these thresholds or this is when we're going to have to reevaluate and figure out, do we take a new direction at this point? Yeah, that's a really good point. Every time I listen to presentations, you know, I sit down with them and I say, uh, you know, what we saw previous to March is completely different from what we see now. And I'm sorry, it's uh, only six months ago that that happened, but yeah, <laughs> it's literally a different market. And they say, well, you know, I, I want my house to sell and uh, I want my house to go on contract in a week and I want it to sell at the end of the month. Uh, you know, can you still do that? And it's like, uh, you know, that, those are days gone past way, that's way in a rearview mirror now. Um, and you have to give them a much more practical timeline. I, I tell them straight out, I say, you probably won't have any offer come in for at least 30 days. They seem to take it pretty well, though, I think. And I think a lot of it is because they understand that it's abnormal to have a house going contract in seven days. It's abnormal to have 30 offers, you know, on, on a single house at one time. Um, so obviously I think they want that, but I also think they understand that the market's different and that it's a little bit more practical now. I'm hoping that they understand that. I'm assuming that people are watching the news and kind of paying attention to what is happening and why it's happening. And, you know, I, like with the various tools that we have access to, when you show people the data and you kind of match up what what's happening and you kind of, there's a really good sales quote. It matters who says it, you know, and if you're showing them, Hey, your neighbor's house sold in 45 days, the house down the street sold in 50 days. This one sold in 62 days. And then you're guiding them. Hey, it's realistic that we're not going to get any activity for a minimum of 30 days. This then supports that narrative. And and I think when it's packaged in, in such a compelling way, people can actually wrap their heads around it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The data is, uh, the data is great. The, the data doesn't lie. It's a great uh, best friend and, um, you know, something we always rely on. Um, and hopefully the data doesn't, you know, doesn't trick us. or doesn't trick our sellers. <laughs> so, I mean, you can yeah. certainly cut data, slice it to show your own story if you wanted to. But I, I think for the most part, if you just present it all and give them the opportunity to observe it, people can have realistic expectations. And if they don't, they might not be the best client. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. I think that um, I, I'm kind of curious what you think as well. I think that inventory is really going to shift uh, now going forward. I think we're going to start seeing more inventory. 
That's a great question. Um, I'll tell, I'm going to give you my flip it answer that I tell all my, I say to all my clients, I don't have a crystal ball <laughs> is what I say, but I would imagine it's going to increase. And the reason I would say that is patternistically what we're seeing is we're seeing, we're not seeing mortgage rates go down and we're not really seeing them stabilize. And so, you know, it's cause and effect as the rates go up, prices come down and, and I'm very, I'm speaking in like very general terms. Obviously what the real estate market is doing in Montana is very different than Florida. And, and there's, you know, a handful of a ton of other States across the, across our nation. So it's, it's very arrogant of me to say like a generic, this, this is going to happen, but but it's a cause and it's a teeter totter. You know, if, if rates go up, prices tend to come down. And if prices go up, it's because mortgage rates are low. And so there's that balance. And so I would imagine because of all of those things happening that overall we're going to see a buildup of inventory. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm, I'm starting to take the opinion that I think we hit the peak at 7%. And we're starting to kind of level off. Uh, the interest rate has kind of deflated a little bit. Um, I think it's going to probably within the year. I'd say I'd say within 2023. You know, by the end of 2023, it's probably going to you know be well on its way to stabilizing. I'm thinking it's probably going to be somewhere around five percent. And I think once we hit that, then we're going to see a much more active market. And I think it's already you know kind of starting uh, as of uh, say January. I think that we're going to see a much more healthier, much more active buyer side. Um, that's really going to draw out the, the sellers. Um, you know, they, a lot of them, I think they're scared that they, you know, miss the market, but even if they sell this year in 2023, I think that they're not too far off from, you know, what they would have gotten at the peak of the market. Obviously everybody always wants to sell right at the very, very top, but, you know, along with that crystal ball, you know, that's the only thing that you could, um, have that would guarantee that you would be able to do that. And it's just it's way too difficult to be right there on the dot, right there on the pin. Timing the market is nearly impossible. The thing that you can control is time in the market. And, and I mean, who knows was like, was there like, where is the actual peak? Like it's, it's a fluid thing. It's continuously moving. And in the flip side, it's what's good for the buyer is bad for the seller and what's good for the seller is bad for the buyer. And so it's, it's a very aloof thing. And I also, in our area, we have many large pockets of properties that are well north of a million, two, three, four, five million. And when you start getting into the ultra luxury, you are catering to a very different client. And the pressures that are influencing the people who are borrowing the money doesn't necessarily create the same pressure for the person who just has the money and, and they kind of create their own weather in all of this. Yeah. And I'm sure you see it. You work in the luxury category and you see people with just, we're buying a, our third, fourth, fifth home and we're, we're paying cash. And once we find it, we'll buy it. And that's that. Yeah. It's almost casually irrelevant what's happening with the market or rates or any of these other things. It's just 
Um, I recently had a client who they wound up buying in Pennsylvania. Their daughter was going to college there. They wanted a, a house where it was comfortable for their daughter, but big enough for them to come visit. So they bought a two and a half million dollar house and it wasn't, all these other factors that we're discussing didn't matter. They just, that was what they were doing. That was their plan. They had their timeline and that was it. And so it was just a matter of finding a property and executing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and those luxury clients as well, you know, the the more higher end clients, they have the ability to weather the market a whole lot better than other clients as well. You know, so they generally always kind of, you know, I shouldn't say always, but, you know, they tend to come out winners no matter what. And I think they kind of understand that as well. You know, they understand money. They understand how it's used. Uh, they understand how to take advantage of it. You know, I think a lot of our lower priced clients, you know, they're, they're still learning. They're still afraid. They're still cautious and weary about how money operates. And it's a completely different point of view than a luxury buyer. Um, it's unfortunate that we all don't have that same kind of mindset or that same understanding of money that, um, you know, higher end people do, because I think we'd all be kind of better off people if we did. When you have the reserves and you have the advisors, it definitely puts you in a different, naturally, it puts you in a different position. So on that note, let's talk to me about your, uh, knock it out of the ballpark sale that you recently had for 12 and a half million dollars, which is insanely awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Talk to me about that. The sale was um, pretty straightforward, honestly, to tell you the truth. Um, it was listed by a Compass agent and uh, very prominent for market. Very, very collaborative agent, as Compass agents tend to be. So it made the transaction very, very easy. You know, a lot of times when you're going into a transaction with another agent on the other side, you sometimes don't really know what's going to happen just because you don't know their personalities, their tendencies, you know, their notions, how they do business, how they view business. It just so happened that she was very, very easy to work with and very collaborative and made the process so easy. Honestly, escrow moved very, very quickly. Uh, there was a lot of things to navigate with these larger houses. You know, there's so many more components to the house. You know, this house had radiant floors throughout and a big giant boiler. Um, boiler failed actually in the middle of the escrow. And so we had to have it reinstalled. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of a pricey item. Uh, we were able to negotiate a resolution in order to get that done and got it done quickly during the middle of escrow and went forward to closing on time. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I hats off to um, the agents out there that uh, know their market, know their product, uh, know what they're selling, and know how to deal with it. When we uh, made our offer, you know, the market is really, really tough on luxury when the market starts to deflate. And so... You know, I I think we did, um, uh, our buyers uh, that represented, we did take advantage of that. And uh, we were able to, you know, quote unquote, get a deal. You know, they're always going to be looking good no matter what. The house is really a wonderful house and uh, will serve their needs uh, to the T. Um, and uh, they're going to be enjoying it for a very long time. That's outstanding. That's a very nice, very nice commission. Congrats. Yeah, uh, it's mostly going to go to taxes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. Uh, this, yeah, uh, taxes crippling this year for sure. How did you first meet that buyer? Through the Compass Network. 
And, um, you know, everybody talks about, uh, I think everyone's kind of battering on Compass lately, um, mostly because of the commission splits uh, in the real estate industry. On the flip side of that, and really gouging into Compass and, you know, stealing a lot of that market share, uh, I, you know, I do agree that Compass does take a lot of commission from us, but I think what they give is just, you know, so enormous. And so that's why I'm at Compass. Um, and the big reason, in my opinion, in order to be a part of Compass is to be a part of the network. Network of a high-end um, agents across the country that know what they're doing, that have been in the market for a very long time. They're market leaders in their individual cities and markets. And, um, you know, I think that network is priceless. I really think that um, if there's any reason to be at any brokerage and really think about, you know, very, very strategically, very, very thoughtfully about what brokerage you want to be a part of. If you want to do high end, you want to do luxury, then Compass is the only place to be. Our network is very unique and a referral, any referral is by far the easiest conversion of all time versus a cold lead or an online lead. Somebody who's being hand nurtured and handed to you is that's how we actually, you and I both met years ago. I had a client who purchased a home. Her mom was looking to buy a home in your market. And then I don't remember how I specifically got or came, came across your name. And I remember we had a brief conversation. I was like, Oh, he's a rock star. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's seasoned. He, you knew the the market, you knew the house, you jumped right in, started to help. Unfortunately, they wound up writing the offer with the listing agent and then wanting to change the contract. And then I was like, well, you're going to have to have a conversation with that agent. Like I'm out. I, I can't, I'm sorry. I can't help you. It's always funny when the clients, uh, they think they know more about real estate than we do. Um, and I kind of felt like that was the situation with, uh, with those clients. I don't know. Um, I never really had too much of an opportunity to actually talk with them. It was really tough. It was strange. I think to give you more context, they came from the East coast and I think they were out here. If I remember correctly, this was years ago, but I think they were out here for the weekend, saw the property and it was just like a snowball effect. It all just happened like incredibly fast, but I didn't get called in until they were like 80% into, into it all. And so by the time you were pulled in, it was far beyond like saving for either side, but that's how we initially stayed in connection. And, and to your point, like we, we rely so heavily on our network of, of connecting. And we're also in a very, we have a ton of tech here. We have a lot of obviously big brand companies, but then with that, within that, most people aren't from here. So we're also a, a very transient place. So people are moving in and out all the time. So it is a really good hub for us to be networking on a local scale and on a national scale, because you just never know where these referrals are going to be bouncing in from. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. With your business, do you find the bulk of your transactions are referral based or are you paying for leads? Where are your, where's the bulk of the leads coming in for your team? When I very first joined Compass, I was really gung-ho about uh, referral business. And uh, I think my very first year, I, I did 10 referral contracts. And that's basically one extra contract a month 
you know, when you kind of break it down. Um, and that's pretty significant. I was, I've, I've always been kind of pretty proud of myself for, uh, for that, that statistic. Um, lately I haven't really been so much, um, but I think, you know, after this had happened, uh, with this promo in our sale, then I think it's, it's a good reason to go back in, you know, start to network a lot more. I had a son actually also, uh, he's two years old now. And so, um, I have not been going to the retreats. Um, I think the compass retreats are a huge, huge, big, um, once again, you know, big component of, uh, being able to build referral business. You know, getting face to face with people, shaking their hands, you know, actually talking to them and, uh, you know, having great times with them as, as well. Uh, I think those uh, retreats are great events and uh, I really want to start going to them again. I think the next one's in San Diego to my, um, to my knowledge. And, you know, that's a local for us. So, yeah, that's what I heard. I heard it was San Diego, which I'm excited about. It's an easy, it's an easy commute for us from the Bay Area. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a team member, Priyanka. We, her and I were talking about. She wanted to. She was looking into doing a ninja sales training, which is a great. It's a great course, and she was looking for places local. And I was like, no, no, no. Pick places that are not local, but where you'll have the highest percentage of symbiotic business. Like, where's another hub? New York. Austin, Seattle, LA, and go there because the concentration of agents are going to be from there. And then go and sit next to somebody new every time you, every day and every session, like come back and sit next to somebody new, introduce yourself. And to your point, build out that network because it's just all about connecting, connecting dots, connecting people, and having conversations. I literally just today, somebody um, sent out on TAN, Top Agent Network. They said, hey, does anybody have a great leasing agent for the north side of the city? Immediately, my good friend, Ina, I sent her a message. I was like, hey, I think this is right up your alley and sent it to her. Like, I'm getting nothing out of it. I'm, I'm not part of that percentage, but she's going to benefit from it. It's those little things, they come back to you and they, the more you do them, the more, the more they come back. And I mean, my, my referrals, my personal referrals, not the whole teams, but just mine, I was probably 90% of my business last year was all just referral base, which is, that's amazing. Like that's such a it's such a different place to be than just having to beg for business, <laughs> <laughs> which no one wants to do. Speaking for myself, I think, um, you know, we, we talk about this at Compass and you start the flywheel, you get the flywheel going and then the flywheel basically runs itself. That's kind of how I'm running my own personal business at this point right now. Um, a lot of the uh, buyers that have assisted me you know, way back in the days, they refer me to other buyers that they know that, you know, need to do something in the local market. A lot of my buyers come back and they say, I need to sell a place and, you know, I need to buy another place. You know, so it's a lot of that business that's happening. Um, and then there's the, the occasional referral business that comes in. For my team, you know, we're basically scrambling everywhere for any type of uh, reliable lead generation source there is out there. So we're buying Zillow leads. We're buying online marketing leads. We're digging deep into social media, um, pulling out leads from there too as well. You know, even doing door knocking, a lot of old school stuff that, you know, people used to do that has been replaced by digital geofencing or digital technology. 
you know, we still do a lot of that old school stuff too as well. Um, pretty much everything except for cold calling. I mean, I don't really know that cold calling is very effective, but, uh, you know, I, I think anything that's out there that's, um, that's legal, that's free game, you know, we, we try and do it. It's very fascinating the, with the way markets work and even with just general advertising is things that work really good in one neighborhood don't work in another neighborhood. It's very interesting. The compass philosophy is fail fast, like try it, see if it works, measure your result, try it again, see if it works, measure your result. And if it doesn't work, try something new. And if it does work, tweak it and try to make it, make it a little bit better. Um, but I think you just have to keep trying things like Zillow was crushing it during the peak pandemic because people couldn't, you couldn't just go to an open house. So you had to book an appointment. And so if you had to book an appointment, you would go to these platforms that you would have the opportunity to book the appointment Hence Zillow. So I had friends that were just, they're like, they were getting tons of leads from that, but then like a light switch, once open houses started again, it just stopped. Like Zillow just stopped. And I know it stopped because my phone started blowing up from them wanting me to buy leads from them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what else? But I like... Okay. I was going to say, you know what else I found out about Zillow was uh, during the pandemic, I think a lot of the agents on the agent side, they got freaked out and they pulled out of paying for advertising on Zillow too as well. I think that happened too. I mean, that's generally anytime we go into a recession or a different market, regardless of real estate, whatever industry we're talking about, marketing tends to get pulled first when, whenever income becomes uncertain, we immediately just cut that off or cut it way back. And so to your point, I, I think that happened very aggressively, especially the early days. I, in the early days of things shutting down, I shut down a lot of my spends, um, but turned them right back on as soon as I, as soon as those opportunities were able to, we just cranked everything full blast. I've always been big on Zillow. And so when, um, when I noticed that people were pulling out of Zillow, uh, agents were pulling out of Zillow, that's when I doubled down. And then it was uh, more towards the end of the pandemic when I started to kind of pull out and um, you know, level out my, uh, my spend in Zillow. And now I'm starting to go back in again. Um, so yeah, you're right. Uh, some of it, I think some of it is very relative to our own personal business, of course, too, as well. I think that's how, that's mostly how I'm viewing expenditures and lead generation you know, type of thing. So with your networking efforts, what does that typically look like? It's hard to explain. You know, I, I think I'm really just kind of looking for every single angle I can find. Um, you know, the last big sale that I did, you know, I am kind of shamelessly promoting it. Uh, and, um, you know, it has actually generated a lot of um, new connections, new conversations. So very, very thankful for that. Um, you know, most oftentimes it's, a, it's really, especially on social media, it's just looking for new connections, new ways of doing business uh, that other people don't think of. You know, this referral network thing that is going around these days, in my opinion, it's, uh, it's really a big rage now, you know, and it's something that Compass really kind of perfected from the very beginning. Um, you see a lot of, you know, kind of offshoots now, like uh, uh, there's a couple that I belong to that's outside of Compass. And um, uh, I think that if you were to... Um, you know, look at these trends, be insightful enough to be ahead of it. 
I think you also need to be insightful enough to get out of it and try and get into something else, you know, to always stay ahead of the wave. And uh, so, you know, I think the referral network um, opportunities that are out there, they're a little bit more watered down. Everyone's part of a network and they're joining a new network and then they're part of another network. And all of a sudden, all these networks, they all, you know, kind of overlap. And then there's no longer a network. There's just a big giant community of realtors that all know each other. And uh, so you got to kind of find something else. What I've started to find uh, lately is um, through social media, uh, looking for lenders that are all across the state of California and especially not in my local market and um, reach out to them directly and saying, hey, you know, if you don't have an agent out here in the San Francisco Bay Area, then I'd love to start a relationship with you. If ever you get a lead that comes in that you don't know an agent uh, out here, then you should contact us first. And um, that actually landed um, one yesterday. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting Like you try something out and you, you get one tiny kernel of success with it. And then you just kind of snowball it as hard as you can into, you know, an actual system or a process until you, know, you find out you can't do it anymore, which played out and you go find something else. Um, so that's, that's kind of one, one thing I'm working on right now. That's a smart strategy is, you know, when it stops working, stop pivot, like, like figure out if there's a variation you can do or, or maybe just something entirely different. It yeah. reminds me, a friend of mine, Ryan said, like, if you figure out what's working, go as deep and far into that hole as you possibly can. And he's like, it's better to dig one hundred foot well than it is to dig a hundred one foot wells. And it's, to your point, it's like, sure, you can join a hundred subpar referral networks, or you can just go all in on this one thing that, and in our price point, like one lead, one closed lead is, that's a big deal. That's a, you know, when we're talking big numbers. That's a, that's a big drive of revenue to the bottom line from that one closed lead. And so just being a little bit more tenacious in that one category. And as we talked about earlier, lenders are typically first in line when people have the idea they want to buy or sell. And then the next, we, we talked about it earlier, is if you have the cash, typically the first person you talk to is the person who's helping you with your finances. So your advisor, that's, that's going to be the first person you talk to. And so having a network of, of those symbiotic people you can refer is, that's incredibly powerful. If, because there's no competition, it's, it's just, you're going to help them grow and vice versa. And you're going to help them. They're going to help you. Yeah. I've always found it weird that, um, lenders always chasing realtors around, you know, or to, to get business. And I was like, well, you know, is there, is there, a, is there a way that, you know, going upstream, you know, works just as well. And I was like, okay, well, I think maybe I'll just try chasing lenders around and see what happens. <laughs> It's an interesting, that's an interesting play. I mean, I, I, there's only one real, uh, one lender, shout out to Blake, who actually passed me referrals ever, <laughs> <laughs> which is astonishing with the amount of referrals we pass the lenders. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. That was another thing too. I was like, you know, why are all these, why am I giving all this business to all these lenders and they're not giving it to me? You know, why can't I try and take some from them somehow? It's such a good message here is 
develop your network. Like your network ultimately in this business creates your net worth. So it's like, if you just keep building that out, you will then have a really good, strong, long-term book of business. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Grant, thank you. It's been, that's been an hour. So we're going to be wrapping it up here. What is the best way for people to find you out on the, the online world? At Grant Good Agent is the uh, handle that you need to know. Write it all down. It's all one word. G-R-A-N-T-G-O-O-D-A-G-E-N-T. Um, you can find me pretty much everywhere by just using that handle. Um, you know, I always use the good agent hashtag, but you know, I think there's a lot of other people that kind of use that too, whether it be insurance agents or, um, uh, sports agents, uh, whatever. You can also search me by my name, Grant Inaba. And, uh, it's unique enough that, uh, and I, I've kind of plastered myself all the way over the internet enough that, uh, you should be able to find me pretty easily too. Um, shout out to Carrie Ann Inaba. Um, if it weren't for her, no one would know how to spell my last name. Uh, we're not related. I wish we were. Uh, Carrie Ann, if you're out there, um, let's talk. And uh, yeah, share your network with me, please. <laughs> awesome. And as well, I'll be adding this info in the show notes. So it'll be really easy if anybody has a client going out to East Bay, part of the Bay Area, they'll easily be able to come and find you. Hey man, thanks for your time. Always appreciate our conversations. I feel like I always, I actually wrote some great notes in my notebook, which I want to bring back to my team. So thank you. Oh, of course. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, yeah, I would love to meet the rest of your team and network with them and uh, uh, share more great advice with each other. We'd love to uh, get great advice from you guys on what you guys are doing in your market because I know it's very competitive. It's a very uh, high intensity market and uh, there's certainly tons we can learn from you guys too. 100%. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on.